We don't have to try any harder. We don't need to fight anymore. We don't have to try any harder. Hey, Jacob. Hi, Scott. How are you doing today, brother? Well, I feel like my voice is especially mellifluous today. I'm not sure if that's a little bit of allergies or whether I've just shifted into a new gear and I just have this. <laughs> You've shifted into that James Earl Jones gear. This is, this is you from now on. <laughs> You're going to be called for voiceovers left and right. God, the guy with the golden voice. We don't even know. Turns out it was just allergies, but <laughs> yeah, totally. I got a little bit of allergies going on too. Yeah. Yeah. How are Did you? you? Are debt like poisonous killer? They're not really killer. They don't kill you, but um, caterpillars in New Orleans. I mean, that doesn't surprise me. Anything that moves or crawls in Ella in Louisiana seems like it might might kill you. But it surprised no, I didn't me. Know that. I mean, yeah, like I think of caterpillars as the most gentle things on the planet, like things I wouldn't hesitate to actually pick up. And I'm not every time, to pick up yeah. A bug. Um, but here, my uh, the guy I'm renting from, he warned me, and then I met this new friend, and he's like, "I hope have you been warned about the caterpillars?" And I'm like, "Oh my god!" Like, and apparently they're this guy, this friend of mine got bitten by one. Everyone says it's the worst pain they've ever experienced. And I was reading about him and there was this doctor saying, it's the worst pain I've ever experienced. And I've been bitten by rattlesnakes. Oh my so, God. And, and they're all over. And it's so funny because, you know, they're just caterpillars. They're not very hard to avoid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it's pretty easy to sidestep them. But suddenly when you're walking around and you see all these caterpillars on the sidewalk, it's like walking in a patch of rattlesnakes now oh because God. I know what, what pain they can cause with their bite. Oh, my God. I'm actually looking at a thing here. It turns out there's more than one. I think uh, there are like four poisonous caterpillars in this state. Yeah. But there's one specifically that hangs out. They come from the live oak trees, which are so beautiful. Oh Those God. live oaks are all over here. But yeah, so anyway. So that's, that's what's going funny. on. I'm avoiding caterpillars. <laughs> Without the preamble, that would have sounded like a really neurotic statement. Yeah, I'm really <laughs> scared of caterpillars. That's my next memoir. I'm avoiding caterpillars, the Scott Stabile story. <laughs> the caterpillar avoidant. Well, and sometimes you might have to make a choice between stepping on a crack in the sidewalk and breaking your mom's back or, or stepping on a caterpillar. So exactly. I don't know what you'll do with that conundrum. I'm not sure. I'll have to wait till I face it. <laughs> but other than that, everything is everything's good here in in New Orleans. Had a really fun Easter, which was last weekend oh, from when we're talking. Um, it, in part because, you know, the city. I was saying this to a friend. I, I said, mm. I really appreciate about New Orleans the way there's so much intention around pleasure here. Mm. And he said, it's not just intention. In New Orleans, pleasure is prioritized. And it's really true. And that's a really good distinction to be in a place where people, as a, gen, a sweeping generalization, like the, the community here, they prioritize pleasure. There are so many celebrations about everything. On Easter, people get dressed up. I, I got dressed up and I looked like, I feel like I looked like a hippie disciple of Jesus, like a hippie Jesus disciple on Easter and went down to the French Quarter and people, well, probably thousands of people in the streets dressed up, Easter bonnets, like the most artful Easter bonnets you can imagine. Some of them like two and three and four feet high. And there's so much, it reminds me a bit of Burning Man. Like it had a spirit of Burning Man. There's just okay. adults who are playing. Yeah. Who are, you know what I mean? Dressing up to have and having fun and a good time. Yeah. And I like, I like being in that energy and I like giving myself over to mm -hmm. what that energy invites. It's like, what happens when you make pleasure a priority in your life yeah. and you don't just wait for it to happen, but you actually seek out opportunities and you, you know, maybe you even look at what does it mean? What, what does pleasure look like for me? What things are pleasurable? you know, and write down that list and then start giving energy to those things and see how your life changes. If pleasure is a priority, you know, if that's something you value. 
Well, look, I don't think we can help but value it. It's built into our nervous system, right? We're, we're designed to avoid pain and, and move toward pleasure. Yeah. But what you just said, I want to rewind a little bit and bring a highlight. You just offered a, a, um, a practice, an exercise, and uh, sit down and write down all the things that bring pleasure. You know, it's funny, Scott, when I work with people, um, and, uh, you know, one of the questions I often ask when we start working together is, what do you really want? And I've come to realize that question is uh, just the very beginning because very few people really know what we want, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we start exploring that, a lot of times people get really stymied on that point. So I'll say, well, what do you what don't you want? What do you not want? Mm-hmm. That list is really easy to write down for most people. Um, yeah. And one person in particular is so resistant to the other thing. When she started making a list of what I don't want, I said, OK, well, the good news is we just created a mirror image on the other side of that coin is what you do want. Right. And it was amazing to watch her go, oh, my God. And even the idea of writing down a list of pleasurable things. I know you just said it, but when you hear that or when you sit down to do it, do you feel any resistance that's just not yours, but that you were handed along the way at any point? I mean, less so than I might have because i i do feel like there is this well certainly there's conditioning around it but also i feel like we're living at a time when energetically there's kind of some there there can be judgment toward those who are seeking Mm -hmm. pleasure seeking joy in a world where there's so much suffering Mm -hmm. i feel like i feel like people are more inclined these days to maybe hide their joy perhaps Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's true, but I get, I, it feels like it's true. (laughs) You know, it's like, or to not just like be out loud with it Mm -hmm. when you know that there are so many people struggling in so many different ways. And the truth is we're all struggling in so many different ways. And I feel like it is not my suffering that's going to pull you out of your suffering, Jacob, you know, and that if we don't bring a certain sense of, you know, honor and acceptance to joy, the moments of joy when they happen and to allow ourselves to immerse into them and to be with them. We're not just doing a disservice to ourselves, but we are actually, we're, we're limiting the amount of joy that is created in the world by stifling our own. I don't know if that's where you were going or if you have other things, when you think of pleasure, do you feel stymied in any way by it? Well, I wasn't leading you anywhere, but I'm glad I asked for more information about that from you because I feel like you're touching on some really important stuff here. And it touches on a couple of reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing in in my work, which is to invite people back into a deep sense of aliveness in their lives. And it's interesting to me the topic of healing, the topic of transformation, the topic of even creative, creative expression, these things are freighted with so much baggage that it's like, mm-hmm. that's important, but it's going to be hard. That's important, but it's going to hurt, mm-hmm. you know, and we have so many cultural messages. I think, I think the U S um, you know, is affected deeply by the very old puritanical ideas. And that's Absolutely. what was drilled into us to survive back hundreds sure. of years ago. And, and, we haven't shaken that and we haven't shaken the idea that suffering is connected to holiness in some way or to virtue. Um, so I love that you brought that up and I feel like people could easily pass it over and go, Oh, you know, yeah, he's going to, we're going to, these guys are going to talk about having pleasure for, for this episode. And, and it might shift into a folder in their brain that says, Oh, that's, that's probably not going to be helpful to me. What I'm, what I want to suggest is what Scott's talking about here is actually a very deep dive into potential really cool medicine in life. Well, and I'll, I want to say something before I, is that you're, you're sounding fairly quiet and I'm noticing your line is much smaller than mine. So I don't know if, I don't know how it's going to read once this is done. Well, I have the ability to adjust the tracks, which I had to do last week. I was noticing that too. In fact, I just tried to open the, uh, the mic app and raise the gain and it didn't, it didn't do it. And especially okay. since you're saying it sounds quiet on your side too, I'll make yeah. sure and adjust that afterwards. But thank, okay. thank I, I, I'm glad you brought it up because I'm like, I wonder, I wonder if this is actually coming through that way. How okay. am I sounding right Good. now? 
Yeah, it's just a little quiet. I mean, I can hear you, but it is different than how you normally sound. To you okay. listeners, we're probably not going to edit any of this out. So thank you for being being with us through this little technical talk. <laughs> um, you know, and Jacob, what I to to what you were just saying and to add on to it, it's like do it for anything. Like when you are looking at what you value or what your needs are. Let's say you're in a place in your life where you're thinking. I really could use more connection. Mm -hmm. Take a moment and grab your journal and write down what that might look like. When you imagine yourself having more connection in your life in a fulfilling way, what does that look like? And it might look like phone calls to close friends. It might look like joining a knitting group, whatever that looks like. Now you're seeing it on paper. You've taken the time to actually consider this need that you feel called to create more of, to actually consider what it could look like in your life. And then from there, the invitation is to start doing some of those things on your list, you know, and in my, and, and if it's not connection you want, but whatever it is, write the list. If pleasure isn't a priority for you right now, no problem. If, if peace is a priority for you right now, what does peace look like in your life? Yeah. What would that mean to create more peace in your life? And then start doing those things on your list in any way you're able. And for me, this is how we, this is how we live into our intentions. This is how we go beyond just thinking it. We take action. We take really conscious consideration of what do I mean when I say I need more connection? What do I mean when I say I'm giving myself over to pleasure? You know, for me, what I mean with pleasure is like saying yes to my body more often. You know, when my body's a yes to things and wanting to experience things, giving myself over to that saying yes to my heart more often, not getting so lost in the interruptions my mind might place, the barriers it might put on my pathway to pleasure or on your pathway to connection. You know, like get active with it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised at how deep this can go. And it actually harkens me back to my recent experience with the Atlas Project, Scott, where we were, there was so much about it that was intense and cathartic and looking at shadow but what a lot of us don't realize is that what exists in the shadow, those aren't just things that we've created taboos for because they're you know not easily accepted in society or in our family or whatever. Those, those things can exist there too, anything that's been orphaned. But what, what I discovered was when they facilitated the part of what do you want and over and over again until those things started coming out, there was a lot that existed in my shadow that directly related to pleasure. Um, mm. And, you know, of course we think pleasure, you know, like eating or sex or something like that. And of course those are pleasurable, uh, but in general, what would make my life feel like pleasure? What would make, what would make it feel like pleasure in my work and my relationships? Mm -hmm. And what was interesting to me, and I'm curious, how this might feel to you because you hold a different place in your family. There were a lot of oldest kids in that room. And what I noticed, and I think some other oldest kids noticed also is that um, because of our part place in the birth order, we, we had been conditioned and I'll just own it for myself. I had been conditioned to only allow myself to even think about or express things that I desired if they could be, if I could be convinced that they had a direct benefit to someone else around me. And that was really revealing, Scott, because it's like, I mean, you and I have talked about, you know, learning how to be um, selfish in a sacred way and what that means, you know, but I was surprised to find how much existed in my being that I hadn't been willing to open up to or even consider. Um, so for me, some elements of pleasure that aren't anything that anyone would be like, Oh my God, that's uh, too much information. Mm -hmm. So not, not the usual taboo kinds of things, but simply being willing to even imagine a life in which I'm in deep flow and deep enjoyment and feeling inspired. Um, that for me is something that often had to get put off until I had earned it in some way, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. What I'm curious, what else, what else did you discover if you care to share around pleasure? Did things come up that surprised you? Yeah. 
Yeah, it was funny, you know, being being led beyond the rational mind's ability to process and slow it down and make sure it was coming out pretty. You know, I mean, they, it was very intense on purpose for that reason. They're like, we're, we're going to help you lose your mind temporarily. So let everything come out. And they said, don't worry about the exact expression of it in your life. Um, like that, there's a lot of people will try to glom onto a thing. Oh, well, I could never do that. Or that's not possible. Or I shouldn't do that. They just said, let it all come out. And, you know, I found myself saying like things like, I want to live in a house on top of an island. I want to have a monkey. I want to have orgies. I want, it was like, what the fuck? <laughs> None of those were on my actual wish list. It was just interesting to have it all come out once the cork was pulled, you know? Yeah. Wow. I want a monkey. <laughs> a monkey and orgies, of course. <laughs> <laughs> not an orgy with monkeys right <laughs> i think that's how diseases get started scott <laughs> no but yeah that uh that was fascinating and it felt like this you know they use so many modalities in this experience um primal scream and all kinds of catharsis this was a cathartic thing of simply being able to with a whole being almost do if, if i could imagine that everything i was saying with such velocity was hitting the wall and creating a, a roar shock splatter. It was like, oh, that's like watching my soul, my whole self just go blah, there it all is. And, but when it's corked up and not even looked at, you know, like Carl Jung says, you know, um, what is not expressed will, what is not, what is suppressed will simply be expressed in other way, in darker ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. If we shove it down, if we don't even look at it, there's no way to then, he also does a lot of talk about how to pay out the shadow intelligently. So um, one of his students in a different book talked about, you know, how he had this psychiatric practice and a beautiful uh, young wife that he had married in this house they had bought and everything was perfect. And he was finally, all of his goals were coming together and he had this sudden desire to run. Um, like he would, it was almost an overwhelming urge to just like flee, leave the whole thing behind. And he's on a rational level. He's like, why would I, why would I do that? Like, I love my life. I love my wife. I love the work I do, all these things. And he began to realize it was because everything was so orderly and so perfect that he didn't have any place for the rest of his psyche to go come out and play a little bit. So he just, he developed a ritual where he would drive outside of town on Thursday night to this diner at the edge of the desert. And he would sit on top of his car and drink a huge uh, milkshake and eat a big greasy cheeseburger and smoke a cigarette. And that was his version of I'm I'm fucking burning it all down right now. And he's like, that was enough to scratch the itch for him. So yeah. he didn't need to tear his actual life apart. Yeah, I like I like that you said scratch the itch because sometimes that's all that needs to happen. Yeah, it isn't about blowing up your life. Right. Right. It's about maybe again, coming back to asking yourself the question, what do I really need right now? Yeah. And or, or even more specifically, what do I need right now? to feel more settled in my current relationship, whatever, if you know you're committed to whatever it is you're committed to. And then, um, yeah, I, I appreciate that because it's so tempting to want to just blow shit up. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Instead of bringing like rational, um, rational thought or feeling to the experience. Do you, do you believe that how important do you think it is to know the the source of your response, your triggers and responses today? Like, let's say you get triggered by what you get triggered by. You can look back and see, oh, that's directly connected to my relationship with my father. I know that. What does that knowing do for you? And do you feel like having the knowing of where things originate is important to the process of healing? Mm. Wow, I love that line of inquiry, Scott. I, and for me, um, being willing to take the time to trace some of these things back, and to me what it has done has created more space in that gap between stimulus and response. Um, you know, the simplest definition of trauma is that the event or circumstances have the quality of being inescapable. I can't do anything about this. So sometimes we can even be traumatized by our triggers if if they remain unconscious. We don't even know where it came from or why all we know is we're taken over with this thing that pushes us out of our, you know, when they say, wow, that was really out of character. A lot of times that means some primal, deep, 
deeply coded response reaction got triggered and a person who hasn't followed those threads back at all. Oh, they finally caught you, Scott. <laughs> Wait, what'd you say? They finally caught you. I heard a siren in the background. Yeah, like, okay, exactly. You, you devoted yourself to a little too much pleasure out there, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, go on with what you were saying. Yeah, so I've just noticed that by being willing to trace those things back and, and bring them to consciousness, you know, again, Jung, what remains unconscious will direct our lives and we'll call it fate until we bring it to consciousness, you know. And so for me, it has that effect of turning down the sense of um, distrust in myself and my responses. Like if I have these triggers that are unexamined and I'm walking through life and it's like, you know, you know how it is to walk around someone else, like you have to walk on eggshells because they're kind of a ticking time bomb in some way. I think a lot of us experience ourselves that way. We have to tiptoe around life because we're not even sure exactly what the triggers are and mm. when we might be pushed out of character. And that's scary. You know, it's like, yeah. man, and actually limits my ability to have pleasure in life if I don't know where those things come from. Because it's like, if I go outside, I relate it to um, how I was as a child, Scott. I, I got bit in the face when I was two years old by a little dog. I don't remember the experience at all. All I know is I had an absolutely pathological fear of dogs of any size. I would, as a, as a little boy, if I was walking through a neighborhood where I knew a dog would run up to the fence and bark at me, I would like walk blocks out of my way to just not, even though I knew, knew he couldn't get out and get me, there was just right. nothing I could do about it. And so that I'm, I'm sharing that as I actually feel a fair amount of passion about this because I know that when a circumstance came up later in life that I was able to take my power back from the dog dynamic. Since then, I've never been afraid of dogs and I, I love dogs out in, out in the you know park and everything else. And so um, it's, it's a pretty astonishing difference because that wasn't something I knew where it came from it, it, for so many years. It just affected my life. So wait, it was only, you didn't know where it came from until what you just re referenced, the moment you were able to write a different story around it? You never well, knew I, that you'd been bitten? I didn't I didn't have any memory of the it happened when I was so young that I didn't ever have except for having been told about it, I didn't remember it. So it wasn't like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that thing happened, that's why I feel scared. I just knew I was scared all the time. And how did you heal it? Like what happened that now you're in a good relationship with dogs? <laughs> it's a funny question. I was uh, walking across a cul-de-sac. It was Michigan. And I had my two little twins and they were just walking. So I think they must have been just over one years old. We were walking through the cul-de-sac and this little, little fucking bastard dog came tearing out of the neighbor's house, growling and snarling. And something larger than me took over. Like I just, it was, I felt like a giant. I, I leaned down and I'm like you little motherfucker, I will kill you. And everyone around me just was like, where did that? Cause I'm not that, I don't express that way. It just came out. It was like, it felt like this, like really powerful demon or angel came out of me. And that little dog froze and whimpered and went running away. And I didn't touch it or anything. Uh -huh. But what, what happened was I needed to protect these two little ones who were probably about the age that it was when it happened to me. So yeah. something, you know, I'm sure a psychologist would say, yeah, or even a shaman would go, yeah, that was a soul retrieval or a psychologist would say, yeah, you, you took the charge out of that old memory that was stored in your body. And after that, you no longer had the fear of being powerless with, with a dog. Yeah. How interesting. And so the dynamic for you has been shifted since then. Completely. Isn't that incredible? I love like that. Zero, zero reluctance. I'll walk up to dogs in parks and just love them. And I'm not scared when a dog bark. It's just a whole different thing. What I love so much about that story is just in that is just one more example that nothing is set in stone. Yes. Like we, we, we carry these stories, we carry these traumas with us and we think it'll never change. Like it's been with us for too long. And this is just one more example. It's like, no, something yeah. different can actually happen at any time. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think the trick can be in part bringing and it's it is it's a it's tricky because it's difficult like bringing as much acceptance as you can bring to where you are with your story with your trauma and coming at the healing of it not from a place of pressure or expectation but yeah. from a place of openness that things change all the time and there is actually very real possibility 
that I could heal, create healing around this story that has owned me in some way for so many years. Yeah. And I think what gets, what can get muddied and what we, how we do a disservice to ourselves is when we, we put pressure on ourselves to shift the story, to create a change that we want to create. We apply all this pressure. And then on top of the pressure, we're not creating the change. Let's say you're still afraid of dogs. So there's some part of you that then is shaming yourself for not having created the change or created the healing. And all that does is create this yeah. vicious cycle of pressure and shame and pressure of shame. And so on top of still being afraid of dogs, you feel like a piece of shit because you're not, you're not evolved enough to have healed your fear of dogs. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's like, I'm, yeah. con I'm continuously these days playing with bringing to those situations where I would love to be showing up differently. I would love for that aspect of my life to feel a bit more healed or a bit less directed by old, old wounds, but trying as much as possible to bring to those moments, just more curiosity, yes. just more openness, just like, Hey, this is what's going on right now. Isn't that interesting that this old story is still driving you in this moment instead of you're a fuck up because this old story is driving you in this moment, right? It it's happened just, again. It's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that, that ultimately for me is so, so key in creating the real changes that we want to create in our lives, which I believe ultimately is we all want to be in good relationship with ourselves. Because if that relationship with yourself is solid, it informs everything else. And so it can, some of these tweaks don't have to be so huge. It can be the tweak from judgment to curiosity. Mm -hmm. And what happens when you approach yourself with curiosity and whatever you're going through, through that lens, um, how does that energetically shift what you're going through? Yeah. Yeah, I really love that. I think it is so easy, especially for people who have done a lot of inner work and have been totally. on a path and studied these things. And I mean, shit, Scott, my, my mother had self-help books in the bathroom and all around the house since I was a little kid and all of her life and all of my life. And so, you know, I was exposed to a lot of personal growth stuff since the time I could start reading really. And I love that. And I, there also came a time when I realized that, um, I was actually putting so many different, you know, seven steps to this and uh, these exercises for that. Pretty soon I was just so caught. I was almost, it's almost like trying to learn a, a golf swing or, or change your habit with a golf swing. And it feels like every little thing is so important in the wrist and the hips and the, all the things like I can't even walk right now. I'm trying to right. do it so perfectly. You know? <laughs> right. It, yeah, it can be really stifling, you know, and I think, uh, I think there's a, yeah, you, we end up again with that pendulum swing and we end up, we go, we go too extreme in the other direction. It's like, I'm seeing a lot of like writings and memes about like this rejection of self-improvement. And I mm -hmm. understand the energy of it, this rejection of the self-help industry mm -hmm. or the self-help vibe. And I think my sense is the rejection is is built into this idea that in the energy of self-help or self-improvement, there, there is this idea around fixing yourself yep. and the pressure that comes with that idea. And at the same time, what I, what I feel like is ultimately we're not likely to stop wanting to grow on some level, especially if you're, if you're aware that you're on some conscious healing journey and that's something you give energy to. Yeah. And so it's like, for me, why resist what is natural to us anyway? Why resist our compulsion to grow and heal when that's not going to go anywhere? Or why resist our desire to create more pleasure in our lives when that desire is not going to go away? You know, why resist the need for connection? Um, even if it's not what we're experiencing in the moment, I, I feel like, I don't know where I was going with this. Do you have anything to say? <laughs> I can't, I can't wrap it up. I'm not sure what I wanted to say. Well, yeah, I just, I love how it's looping back to where we started with pleasure here. Um, I love asking what if, what if this situation doesn't have to be this hard? 
Okay. I sat through I, I sat through a conversation this week uh, with people very close to me, people very important to me, and we opened up a topic that in the past would have felt so fraught, and it would have been so full of triggers on both sides. It was so full of landmines that would have activated our you know, well, you always do this and oh my God, and all the history behind every single thing. And I was just so grateful walking into that, that I kept, whenever I would feel myself tightening down around the idea of the conversation that was getting ready to happen, I just kept going, what if I, what if I breathe right now? What if I keep my body and myself open? Because I trust myself and I trust the people I'm sitting with. And what if it doesn't have to get gross, you know? Yeah. Um, because my instinct in situations like that is to move away from conflict. It's like, you know what, that's, there's going to be pain there. Um, some people run toward it. That's never been my style. I've kind of always moved away or sometimes disassociated Scott. Like mm -hmm. I'll be the coolest person in the room when, a, when things get heated but that's not necessarily authentic. That can be a disassociation. That can yeah. be me just going, I'm going to rise above all this stuff. Um, which, you know, being balanced and having the ability to slow down the response can be really good. But sometimes for those of us who have really conditioned ourselves to always be gentle and, mm -hmm. you know, thoughtful in situations, sometimes, in fact, I'm thinking of a couple right now who's going through a, you know, a possible dissolution. And, they've both, they were both conditioned from a very young age in a church that was, you know, just really works hard on politeness and kindness. And, and then since then they've really educated themselves on nonviolent communication and conscious communication and conscious uncoupling. And so in some ways, as I sit with them, as they're working through this whole process, it's like, in some ways, all of that politeness and carefulness, while it's admirable in so many circumstances, it's probably actually prolonging the pain here because what needs to happen is some like genuine conflict, genuine, you know, in conflict, we just understand that's a, that's a mismatch in values or it's a mismatch in expectations or perceptions. When, when we realize it that way, it's like, oh, conflict can just be a tool to bring us back into alignment or point to where the alignment exists, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Did I tell you about, uh, I don't know if in the last episode, did I tell you about the guy at at our gym when these two guys were about to break out into a fight. Does no. this ring a bell at all? No. It's connected to what you're saying. It's I was at the gym in a, a few weeks ago. These two big muscle guys were, I, I had my headphones on and I started hearing these voices and I take my headphones off and these two guys are starting to like to yell at each other. And it's clearly moving toward a fight. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking this was my, my train of thought was holy shit. And then should I, and then I'm like, should I get it, go over there and try to stop from happening? What feels like is about to happen. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, I don't want to get punched in the face. <laughs> so fear totally, totally won out. Um, partly from vain and partly from, or partly from like safety and partly from vanity. It's like, I don't want my face punched. I'm not proud of this, but it is the truth. But and then this guy I don't really want over. my face punched either, though, Scott. Yeah, no, honest. totally, of course, okay, okay. for any number of reasons, right? Just so we're clear, you're so, not totally weird in that, right? No, no. I'm a freak. <laughs> so, so I watched this guy walk over, and he was probably like my size, and he just put himself right in between them. I couldn't hear everything that was saying they were far enough away where I wasn't hearing it. What I could tell was happening was he was talking to both of them. They were both giving him, he didn't know either of them. It didn't appear. Mm. They both were like making a case for why they were yelling, like kind of giving their side of the story. But it took probably a minute or more where this man's energy, it was so steady and so clear mm. and he completely diffused the situation. And then the guy, one of the guys walked away and that was done. And what was so powerful about that was, and I went up to the guy after, I think his name was Kevin. And I said to him, listen, I just want to just say, hey, thank you for modeling yeah. peace 
Like yeah. what you modeled there was so beautiful. You were an incredible example and you just diffused it. And he, he said, you know, I, I do conflict negotiation in my work. So I'm constantly dealing with people at odds and it doesn't even, it doesn't even phase me. But what was, what wow. I carried with me from that experience was just how powerful we can be when we're grounded in our energy and in our intention. He went right in between them. I'm, pro I'm projecting my experience of what he did, but it's like he went there knowing that he had the capacity to create peace in a situation that was at war. He was steady in it. He, he seemed unafraid. I don't know if he was nervous about, but he seemed unafraid. And it's exactly what he created. And I, I'm not saying that we should all insert ourselves into fights when two muscle guys are about to go at it. And I'm also saying that there is no saying what we can create when we're clear in our energy and when we're clear in our intention. And I was thinking about how often we put off conversations that we know we need to have because we are one dreading how uncomfortable the conversation, this is why I'm bringing it to what you were sharing about, yeah. you know, and, and it's like, because we dread not only how uncomfortable the conversation is going to be, but we're terrified about how we're going to be received from the other person or judged. And then also we're terrified about the outcome yeah. and, and what happens. And maybe all of us have had at times the experience when we're so clear, like I'm so committed to being loving in this dialogue. And I know this dialogue can go a lot of different directions and could be really uncomfortable. And we're both likely to say things that are going to create defensiveness in the other. And at the same time, my commitment is to being open and loving and compassionate. And I will, that's my intention. It's my commitment. And I'm moving into the discussion settled in that. That conversation is going to move in a very different way. Yeah. And why I'm saying this is just like we sell ourselves short so often by believing we're not able to create what we want to create when in fact this man was just this master class of he was clear and he created it. He went to create peace. He created peace. And we can all do this. It harkens me back. Uh, I probably will keep being harkened back frequently to this Atlas experience, Scott, because one thing that they they actually facilitated exactly what you just said so often in various ways. They said, we want you to create a relationship right now with someone um, in this room who you don't know, go create a relationship. And by the way, what that means is you only have two or three minutes. So you're creating, every, they're like, we're always creating relationship experiences in this world, whether it's with the person at the um, checkout or a, a dear friend or somebody we work with or whatever, we're always creating moments of relationship. And they said, right. so go and create a relationship and you get to decide what level of relationship you want to have with this person. And it could include no relationship at all. Listen to your body, let them listen to their body. And they had us put our hands behind our backs and vote. So we're holding up one, two or three fingers. And then the other person, we had to show them at the same time. And if, and so if it was, if three was a hug, and the other person held up a two and that's just maybe, you know, contact with, with the other person's hands. We had to default to the person who had the, the lower vote on that. Um, and that was really a powerful experience because when you're brought into a situation and said, what do you want to create here in this moment with this person, listen to your body, let the other person listen to theirs. You can make decisions, but it's no longer just, well, I'm shy or they seem like they're probably a dick or whatever. It's like, no, what do you want to create here? And so we actually were trained to create moments of, of genuine intimacy and connection very quickly um, with a lot of respect for what the other person needed and wanted as well. And it was fascinating. It was fascinating even to have it framed in that way. So when you just said that, it was like knowing that you can create a moment um, and the other side of love, the other side of peace sometimes means matching and energy and bring it down. So it doesn't always mean walking up with a smile, you know, much like I'm sure that conflict negotiator knows that very well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Did you find that, did you have any experiences in these pairings where like you were clear you didn't want to be friends with the person, but they wanted to, were there any uncomfortable moments where you were really not in sync with the other person? And how did you handle those if so? I didn't have any where they voted no relationship at all because the part of the rule was in that in that setting was that if if there was a vote for no, you actually had to just turn your backs to each other and stand there for a minute 
and just oh and just God. hold that. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I saw that happen in the room. I was very focused on what I was doing because they were moving us along pretty quickly from person to person. Um, but there were a couple of times there was a younger guy who just wasn't, you know, everyone else is doing these hugs and eye gaze and all this stuff. And he just yeah. was he just wasn't feeling it. So he voted for a much lower level. But even in that, because I was able to respect his vote and not take it personally, I was like, well, why doesn't yeah. he like me? It was like, oh, let's meet at the level you can meet. And it was like a really cool moment. I mean, by the time it was done, we both had little tears running down our face, even though we didn't go into this whole big, you know, hug totally. fest. And so, yeah, it was, it was, I think that was the other piece was with their training. They were training us to realize you can be okay in whatever relationship you're in, in that moment, you can be okay. And you don't have to take whatever their perception or whatever their things are. It's not about you. Let it not be about you. Therefore I get to still show up with my heart open and with my energy open and let them experience that however they want to experience it. Yeah. And imagine how much more open your heart and energy are when you really understand that it's not about you, <laughs> their response. So you don't, you don't have to shut yourself down to protect yourself from the judgments of others or from the rejection of others. When you really get that all of that stuff has nothing to do with you. <laughs> well, and that, that reminds me of a different exercise we did where very, again, very quickly, very quickly <laughs> facilitated I trust you. I don't trust you. So you meet a person, stand right in front of them and say, I trust you. I don't trust you. And, and that was like really early in the process. They hadn't titrated us down to this big depth of connection with everybody there. So it was, and that was one of the things they were pointing out was you can walk up to somebody and not trust them immediately, but doesn't mean you, that you're not making a decision forever. Um, and if they walk up and don't trust you immediately, they're seeing you through their lens. Maybe they just have had bad experiences with guys with curly hair and, and broad shoulders or whatever. And mm -hmm. so it's like, I just don't trust people like that. I can't even possibly know that. So it's like, don't take it personally. So I had a few people say, I don't trust you. And of course, initially it was like, what, what kind of thing have I done to not be trustworthy? Cause I, um, but then afterwards they, you know, I think one or two out of a whole group. So it wasn't like it was getting consistent feedback that I wasn't trustworthy, but it was really interesting. Yeah. And afterward they said, now just be you with you. Did you trust everyone? Did you trust no one? There was another guy there who's one of my dear friends now who, who said, I don't trust you to every single person that he was in front of every single, he's like, I don't know you. How could I trust you? <laughs> mm -hmm. And they addressed that. They said, do you, did you just trust everyone automatically without even sensing what your feeling was? Were you afraid to tell somebody you didn't trust them? Did you um, not trust anybody because you're just have a difficulty with trust? They said, really, you're looking in a mirror here. It really has very little to do with the person. You don't know anything about these person you're in front of. You Absolutely. Know? That's like yeah. all about you for sure. <laughs> do you feel like you're, are you someone who trusts people easily? Yeah, very much. Very much. Okay. What about you? I think so. I mean, yeah, I would say if my, if romantic em emotions aren't wrapped up in it mm -hmm. or like mm -hmm. if there's the, if that buzz isn't involved where I feel mm -hmm. like things can get distorted kind of mm -hmm. easily. Yeah. I tend to, you know, I tend to trust people, but I, again, for me, it's more, I trust myself, which allows me to trust people more because I feel like no matter what's going on, I'm going to be okay on the other side of it because I'm in trusting relationship with myself. I think that's a key distinction, Scott. And I feel like that's changed in me. So young in my younger days, you know, I was, I was often known as naive or gullible um, because I did. I just walked around with everything open all the time and didn't have much mm -hmm. discernment. Um, and that led, that led me to painful experiences with people who genuinely weren't trustworthy, you know, mm -hmm. um, so over the years, what I, what I've noticed emerging, what I was grateful for during Atlas as I was sitting with that question was, you know, <clears throat> I will admit that, it, that as I was journaling about it later, um, I wrote, yeah, I didn't show up all the way. There were a couple of people who, if I had been just radically honest about my split second feeling, I wouldn't have said, I trust you, but that felt scary to say that. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't the common experience in most cases. Um, it's really more like what you just described, which is I've met myself and am committed to meeting myself over and over again in life. And so I've walked through things and have had enough experience now to know that 
I'm going to come through this. And if, if I am a little bit too leaning in too much and, and willing to trust, and it turns out this person doesn't have great motives, I'm trust myself to walk away or to, or to speak up and say something about it now. And that's a, that's a different level, as you just mentioned, you know? Absolutely. And, tr- and like with that, it's trusting in life. Like, so you meet someone who proves they're not trustworthy. Um, there's, there's something from that experience you're going to gain. Can you trust that? Can you trust in that experience as serving your life ultimately? And not from this naive place, just from a like, I don't know, are you, I'm choosing to live my life with, I mean, I don't want to say, what do I want to say? I, I just feel like everything that happens was meant to happen or it wouldn't happen. do you know what i mean like if it happens it was meant to happen and so it's like okay what am i going to do with that what do i want to do with that yeah you know and i've over the years i'm grateful for learning um some discernment and just just some basics like don't jump off a bridge into a into a river until you until you have some evidence that that's not a dangerous thing to do like why would why would we need to break our legs without you know any reason for it exactly Um, but I remember, I can't remember if it was Brene Brown, Scott, or somebody, um, some, somebody you and I love, who, who talked about, we don't get, it's not so much that we get old, it's that we start drawing back from any experiences that might get uncomfortable. We, we, we lose our bravery, and which is why then we start, the, our world starts to shut down because it's like, in extreme cases... In extreme cases, people with agoraphobia and things, you know, it's like, I can't leave the house because going to the store is scary. So their their world literally becomes very, very limited and mm-hmm. and confined. <clears throat> I think many of us deal with that um, at, to some degree, whether it's, you know, fear of other people or just whatever it might be. And so that deep trust in life and deep trust in myself in relationship to life, that has given me a sense of being willing, um, having bravery, but not recklessness, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to be stupid about this, but also, but also I trust myself. I trust life. So let's see what this is all about here. Absolutely. And if you were stupid in that, in an instance, it's like, you'll, you'll be okay on the other side of that too. You'll of. learn here too. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, you feel, should we wrap up? I'm going to be, uh, guiding breath work for your community very soon. Yeah. I was just There's, looking at that. I'm is just there anything loving else it. You want to talk about or feel called to, to talk about? I feel called to judge the person who has an, uh, excessively loud motorcycle who just drove by my house. Um, I didn't hear it on my, my end. Okay, good. Yeah. I think this new mic is really great in that way. Um, no, I just feel good, but I, I do want to invite our listeners to take a little time with what we've talked about today. Um, do that list of what would, what would, you know, and maybe even look up in the, the, the thesaurus under the word pleasure. What are some synonyms? If pleasure, if that is hard to access, <clears throat> I did that with the word creativity one time and there were all these words around creativity, Scott. A lot of people said, I don't feel creative. I don't have access to it. I said, well, look at the rest of these synonyms. And they're like, oh, well, I'm totally connected to being uh, innovative or um, curious. And like, well, there's so many doorways in. I think the same thing with pleasure. Like, ask yourself, what would make me come more alive right now in my life? And it's surprising how practical that might be. It has been for me at times. Well, maybe I can beautify my back porch. That's just kind of a bummer right now. It's like, what would make me feel more alive? And that back porch with under $200 of uh, new flowers and a new bench um, became a place of pleasure. Whereas before it was just a, a, just every time I'd look at it, just more evidence that I didn't have my shit together, you know? So that's one example of that. Yeah, that's beautiful. And, and as much as possible, like play with doing that without an energy of now I'm creating another to-do list. That's going to be like whole, like stressing me out. You know, I'm pinned under 10 more things that I have to do when I haven't even done all the other things. It doesn't have to be that energy. Even Jacob was speaking earlier about like, like conversations, it doesn't, even if it was heavy a thousand times in the past, it doesn't mean that it has to be heavy. Now we can write these lists and, and use them. Should you choose to as just 
an exciting possibility to dive into when I feel like I have the time and inclination to do it, not as another thing to check off Um, and see what happens when you bring that energy to, especially if it's a pleasure list or whatever it is you're finding yourself wanting, the energy of that list in general already is different than like the logistical to do's we have to take care of in our day to day. A pleasure list is just about opening yourself up to the energy of fun and joy and smiles and pleasure in your life. You know? Yeah. Wow. You just, I think you just said a very important thing because again, many of us who are in the personal growth, you know, consciousness in our life and commitment to that, as you just said, it could become, okay, I'm going to get deadly serious about this pleasure thing now and make sure that I pleasure is better than I've ever pleasured before. (laughs) (laughs) I also want to say, Scott, I don't feel like I closed the loop on talking about that conversation I had this week. I just want to say that going in with the commitment to just love and to, and I even said it as we started the conversation, I said, you know what? I would love it if we could hold that what we're doing here is we're, we're doing a mutual discovery of the truth. That's all we're doing here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could feel myself change okay. and the other parties change. And what was interesting, Scott, at the end of what could have been an intensely fraught conversation, our intimacy had increased so much. I'm getting tears in my eyes thinking about it right now. We gave long, genuine hugs and so much gratitude for each other. It was, it was one of those things that just, you know, it's like, wow, this is miraculous. And it was a miracle. It was the miracle of walking in with a deeply open heart, you know? Yeah. How beautiful, brother. Yeah. I want to say one thing too about earlier when I asked you, if you think that your past experiences, that it's important to know them, what informs Mm. your trauma Mm -hmm. and, and my perspective around that is one, I honest, sometimes I honestly don't know, but what I one of one of the things I know where it helps me is hmm. it allows me to show up with more grace for myself yeah. when I am triggered by something. If I'm able to just acknowledge, hey, honey, there's a reason you're triggered for that. Like, because this, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, totally. it's okay. This happened when you were six. And like, so this brings that up in this moment. And I find it's, it's one more pathway of treating myself with love and compassion and gentleness, God. even if it's not, even if knowing that hasn't helped me transcend the trigger, it helps me be much kinder to myself when I'm in the trigger. And I, and I, I don't even have to have to ask this question, but I will just for the sake of our listeners, Scott, like, and don't you find that that kindness toward yourself, that grace around those things, don't you find that reflected in how you also see other people and are willing to hold them as well. Yeah. yeah. It always yeah. transcends self. Every time. Anything that is anything that is rooted in love and the energy of love always transcends self. It is a pure positive energy that serves all. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I just want to I want to leave our listeners with a question because I love what ifs. Um, maybe journal journal about this. What if what if pleasure is another form of very, very powerful medicine. What if? Yeah. Or, or can I amend your question? <laughs> you can add to it. You do or, whatever you or want. Or I'm going to add to it or give my question. <laughs> Perfect. Um, knowing that pleasure is an extremely powerful source of medicine, mm. how might you integrate more pleasure into your life? Love it. I mean, I'm, I'm putting knowing as I'm, I'm declaring it as powerful medicine. I love both, you know, Yeah, totally. if you're, if you're skeptical, use the question. If, if totally. you're like, no, that's probably true. Fucking say, just dive right in and go, Be- yeah. this is. <laughs> yeah. Nice. What do you have oh, coming man. up, brother? Anything to share with listeners? So much and uh, so much <laughs> is, is up in the air. So I'll be back with more actual details soon. What about you? I mean, weekly breath work um, and writing yourself on Saturday, April 29th, my, mm. this writing workshop I'm, I've been doing the past few months, new prompts each time. And it's a really beautiful way for, to get to know yourself better, you know, mm. for self-discovery and self-reflection and also sharing in a really open hearted group of people. It's really lovely. And then the Spain retreat with David, August 31st, calling live, called Live Your, live Your Truth. It's meditation, so we'll make- writing, and uh, breath work. 
and Spain. <laughs> and Spain. Total, and tapas. Yeah, totally. It's gonna... <laughs> I'm like, oh, that That mixture sounds uh, unbelievably delightful. So yeah, we'll make sure the links great. to that are in the uh, show notes today. For sure. All right, brother. Well, I love you. Thank you. And thank you to everyone listening. Love you and appreciate you so much. It's up to you to choose how good it can get, how much love you can let into your life, into your heart, before your mind decides it's too much. It's up to you to choose. It's up to you to choose.